Hello, and welcome to this special episode of the Burr Foreman podcast in honor of Black History Month. We're so glad you decided to tune in and take the time to acknowledge the importance of this month. My name is Tamika Walters, and I'm the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at Burr Foreman. One of the ways we build an inclusive culture at the firm is to acknowledge the history and traditions of different cultures. Our cultural programs honor the breadth of the human experience and celebrate the contributions of people of varying backgrounds. This Black History Month, we are focusing on some of the lesser known heroes and heroines of Black history. People who may not be household names, but nevertheless led inspiring lives and left enduring legacies for future generations. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Pamela Baker, an environmental law partner in the firm's Columbia office. Pam, you are here to tell us about your late grandmother, Augusta Baker. Yes, my grandmother, Augusta, was a librarian and storyteller with the New York Public Library. Beginning in 1930, she had a career there spanning approximately 40 years. She started out as a children's librarian and later became the coordinator of children's services for all of the libraries in the New York Public Library system. And she was the first African-American to ever hold an administrative position in the New York Public Library system. She had many accomplishments throughout her lifetime, but her lasting legacy lies in the extensive work she did in creating and curating children's books that portrayed positive African-American role models. Her books were the first of their time and are a testimony to her lifelong commitment to culturally diverse and inclusive literature. Amazing. So it sounds like she broke through some glass ceilings. Also, she was championing positive depictions of African-Americans in children's literature starting back in the 1930s? Yes, absolutely. She started her career fairly young, but that was her passion from the very beginning. For listeners who may not know the prevailing images of Blacks during the first half of the 20th century, could you please give us a sense of what Black children would have seen in children's books of the time? Well, probably the most recognizable and notable of that time would have been the depictions of the character Little Black Sambo, and probably one of the characters my grandmother found most offensive. Probably one of the other things about the time, you, you didn't see depictions of African-Americans in typical family life settings and career settings, and so it was her goal to bring those positive images of African-Americans in everyday life so that children had role models as, as opposed to the stereotypes that were being portrayed in literature during that time. I can only imagine the impact that those negative images would have on the psyche of children at the time. What exactly did your grandmother do to counteract those negative depictions? Well, she certainly worked with numerous authors and illustrators who were creating books for young children and encouraging them to use in their their books and their illustrations more positive images of young, you know, black little girls and boys as opposed to the images that were being portrayed of African Americans back then, you know, negative connotations with the heavy 
dialect and not showing them as being very intellectual people. And so through her work, she would prepare bibliographies that would create a, a list of literature for Af African-American children to read. A lot of that work was incorporated into the collections in, in libraries around the nation. She also, early in her career, served as a consultant for the, um, I guess, then it was a brand new created Sesame Street, which was another way that she could influence what children were seeing in terms of culturally diverse settings. So I was a generation that grew up on Sesame Street, and I didn't know at the time that I was indebted to your grandmother for her impact on that show. Um, and I know now as a mother, I have a son and he's only eight, and I have a lot of options for books that depict African-Americans in a positive light. So, um, you know, my generation's definitely indebted to her. Uh, thinking back on things, are you aware of any challenges she may have faced in her efforts to diversify children's literature? You know, given that era and the time period, I'm sure she faced challenges similar to all of our parents and grandparents of color. And then especially being a, a woman in a very professional role. You know, I remember particularly her telling me, and you know, by the time I came along, she was well into her career and she would have to travel to the South at times to do seminars or attend meetings, or she would be invited to speak. And living in New York, things were, you know, a little different for her, but a lot of times she would come, you know, for example, to South Carolina and she couldn't stay in any of the hotels, even though she was an invited guest of the university or some other library association. And so hearing her stories about that, and, and, and also, I mean, she had her own uh, struggles with that, getting into school to just get her degree so that she could do what she loved. That was not easy for African-Americans um, back during that era. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about what happened when she applied to college and who ended up intervening on her behalf? Absolutely. So she started out in school um, at the University of Pittsburgh, and that's where she met my grandfather, and they were married. And after two years, he transferred to New York. So she thought to apply and transfer to the State University of New York at Albany. And of course, they didn't, that school was not integrated back then, and they didn't accept Black students. At that time, Eleanor Roosevelt, her husband, was the governor of the state of New York, and she intervened on behalf of my grandmother and implored the university to admit her. And reluctantly, so they did, finding themselves not wanting to be crossways with the, the governor's wife at the time. So she got her start thanks to Eleanor Roosevelt. That is truly amazing. And um, it just makes us reflect on all the things we really sh shouldn't take for granted, you know, how we can just apply to school now. <laughs> we don't need the governor's wife to intervene on our behalf. Um, so that's, that's truly an amazing story. And, and I'm sure she was an amazing woman. Um, to, to actually garner that, that type of support. I want to take it back to the beginning. How do you think your grandmother's background and upbringing shaped her and influenced her desire to spark change? 
Well, she always bigger than life personality. And she would tell me from the time she was a very, you know, at a very young age, both of her parents were teachers. They were both educators. And when she was a very young child, and my grandmother's an only child, her grandmother, who is also Augusta, and I am also Augusta, so there are three namesakes. Her grandmother would sit and, and actually was the one who actually taught her to read because her parents were working. And so she developed a love for reading and, and books at a, at a very young age. And I'm pretty sure that that early development and interest in just having the ability to learn to read, which, you know, we tend to take for granted. But even, you know, back then you're talking about my grandmother was born in the early 20s. I mean, there are a lot of African-Americans who did not even have the opportunity to learn to read. And so I, I think just having that family system that spent time nurturing her and piquing her interest in reading and books probably had the biggest impact on how she developed her career. That's wonderful. How, thinking back on your own relationship with her, uh, what was that like? Do you have a, fa a favorite memory of her? So there are so many. I was born and raised and grew up here in South Carolina. And so my grandmother didn't move to South Carolina until she retired from the New York Public Library. And when she moved here and became storyteller in residence at the University of South Carolina, which was a newly created position and the, the first position of that kind at a, a major university. So many of my favorite memories were spending months with her in New York during the summer. And she would take us to all kinds of Broadway plays, all kinds of classic music and the opera and things like that. And, but then we also, you know, would just spend lazy days playing in the backyard and things like that. But probably the best memories I have would be bedtime, either when I was in New York or here in, in Columbia, South Carolina. And we'd always say, Grandma, you know, please tell us a story before bed. She had these two stories that she would tell. Um, I think one was about Uncle Buki and Tima Lee, and it talked about these two friends who would work during the day and they had a, a gourd of honey and one of the friends was sneaking breaks and ended up eating and drinking all of the honey and water. And we'd have her tell the same story every night and she just never got tired. And it was just the best ever each time she told it. But th that's probably my favorite memory. I mean, she was just a wonderful person, you know, and just so full of life, but it's the storytelling at bedtime that I, that I truly love. Indeed, you were fortunate to have a professional storyteller as a grandmother, but um, I'm smiling as you're talking about this and actually just reflected on the fact that your grandmother may have been only a couple generations from a time when it would have been illegal for someone like her to learn to read. And so how amazing is it that, you know, she was raised reading and then she was instilling the love of reading into children, not only within her own family, but within the state of New York as well. So um, that's just an amazing legacy to reflect on. Which of her accomplishments do you think she was most proud of? I think if she were here and you asked her that question, she would probably say her, her, her grandchildren. Uh, my sister and I were extremely spoiled by her, and she definitely was the most fun grandmother to have. But I think if she were to say anything, it, it probably definitely would be 
the impact she had on fostering, you know, favorable depictions of African-American children such that they could understand that, you know, there was no limit to what they could do, what they could be. And there was absolutely nothing wrong and actually everything right with being an African-American. They should be proud to be African-American. And I, I think that's probably what she would probably be most proud of. And, you know, she did so much in her career. And, you know, what I remember, she was always traveling. I mean, she traveled the world. I, I remember my dad passed away three years ago and he kept everything and he gave me a folder that had all of her passports in it. And there were like six or seven passports just full of all the places that she traveled. And, you know, to me, that's also amazing to think that, you know, African-Americans could travel that extensively and around the world. It's difficult these days for anyone to do. And so I think that was another thing that she probably loved about her career and that it was not just, you know, limited to having an impact here in the United States, but she helped set up libraries in other countries I remember meeting a couple from Trinidad and they remembered meeting her. She had gone there to help set up the library system there. So I think she would definitely be proud about the impact her work has had on creating positive images and the effect it's had on African-Americans portrayal in, in children's literature. Wow. So she had a global influence, even to the point of um, setting up libraries in other countries you mentioned Sesame Street earlier that she was a consultant when that show was first being created. I understand that she influenced some very important writers and illustrators of children's literature. Could you name drop just a few of those for us so that we so that we know who she was working with? One of her very closest and dearest friends was probably Maurice Sendak, but she also worked with Ezra Jack Keats and Deptoe. You know, one of the things that a lot of people probably don't know is she also had a relationship with James Weldon Johnson. And years ago, after she passed, my father and I donated her. She, she had a huge book collection, and we donated the collection to the University of South Carolina, and it's housed in their uh, rare books collection. And, you know, anybody who wants to go over can see it. But when the library was going through the um, books, they found a handwritten, it looked like a poem that had been started on just a regular notepad paper. And they called because it turned out it was a poem that James Weldon Johnson had uh, written and had sent to her and wanted her to provide some feedback on the poem. And it was just amazing to me to see that. But I mean, I have autograph books from Maurice Sendak and all of these authors. She would also review children's books. So every book that she was sent, she they would always send her an autograph copy for her to give to her grandchildren. And so now most of those books are at the University of South Carolina. The other thing is when she retired from New York, all of the authors and illustrators that she worked with um, created a retirement book for her. And they were all sent a sheet and they either sent back a sketch or a note, anything that they wanted to contribute to that book. And the, the library had it bound and it was approximately a, a little under 200 pages. But flipping through that book, you'll see there's an original 
illustration from Maurice Sendak of one of, of one of the wild things. There's an original sketch of Curious George in there. I don't know if you remember Harry the Dirty Dog. There's a sketch of him in the book. And so she worked with all of these amazing authors and illustrators. There's a letter in there from the author of Mary Poppins. And um, about two years ago, I donated that book to the University of South Carolina, and it's in their rare books collection. But it is the most fascinating thing if anyone wants to go over and just take a look at it. It is a wonderful book. And when I was little, I would just sit down on the floor with it and flip through the pages. And it was one of my favorite things to do. My goodness, that's just such an amazing legacy. And we're grateful that you preserved all of this for her um, so that, you know, we can reflect on it even now. You mentioned James Weldon Johnson. Would you believe that the creation was my son's absolute favorite story growing up? And he, he memorized the whole thing and used to recite it from memory. So uh, I'm just blown away by everything you're saying. As we close out, I just wanted to know what makes you the proudest uh, when you think about your grandmother? What If there's one thing that you'd want people to remember what would it be? There's so many things. I, I guess, you know, to me, she was always just Grandma A, which is what we would call her. And um, she, what made me proud was that she was just one of those people that I always felt like regardless of where I was or what was going on, I knew that she would support me in anything. And she felt like I could do anything in the world that I wanted to. But I'm also, you know, proud that she was was really, in, you know, I didn't know this. I guess you could call her like a rock star in the, the library world. And so it just amazes me, you know, as I've gotten older and I think back on the wonderful life and legacy that she has left. I just couldn't be, you know, more in awe of having such a wonderful grandmother. And, and, and I am just extremely proud of the the work and the legacy that she's left and the impact that she's had on African-American children's literature. On behalf of the generations that followed her, um, I'm proud of her too. (laughs) And I'm grateful to you today for sharing her story. And I know that a lot of people are going to learn a lot from this podcast. And I just want to thank you and wish you a happy Black History Month. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I, I know she would be thrilled that people are learning about children's books. <laughs> Indeed, her work is not finished. Um, we need some more people to walk in her footsteps and, and continue to diversify children's literature so that it represents everyone across the spectrum. Thank you, Pam. Thank you. Thank you.